Welcome to the Catholic Reading Challenge. I'm Mike. And I'm Jess. And the only thing we like better than reading is talking about what we are reading with friends. In 2019, we are reading through a new category each month. So listen in and read along. And remember, as Mortimer J. Adler said, in the case of good books, the point is not to see how many of them you can get through, but rather how many can get through to you. We're back. Welcome back to the Catholic Reading Challenge, episode two. Episode two. So we read our books. I'm really excited. Um, if you remember, the topic was spiritual memoir for the month of January. This is our first topic. Our um, yeah, first book category. And it was a really good one. I think we set the bar bar really high. I, I enjoyed my book immensely, um, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. Yeah, this is, yeah, I agree. I feel like, uh, I feel like this is a good category to start off with. Um, I hope, I'm hoping that everyone reading their faith memoir books got as much out of it as we did. But, um, yeah, I'm happy right now to be holding this cup of hot tea because it's just freezing outside and I can't get warm. So I'm I'm drinking, um, Aldi's LaCroix. We can't afford really a real (laughs) LaCroix. So we have Aldi's LaCroix, which I think if you put, and a LaCroix, LaCroix, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. You wouldn't be able to tell the yeah, difference. LaCroix. But let's jump right into it. Um, yeah, why don't you go first? Talk about your book, which I have also read. I read last year, so I am very excited to hear what you... Yeah, we have an advantage with this book because we both uh, both read this book. I did not read um, A Severe Mercy yet, but based on what you said about it, I do want to read it. However, we have both read An Immovable Feast by Tyler Blansky. And to give you kind of an introduction to, to this book... Um, it's Ignatius Press. Tyler Blansky, um, I would say he's in his mid-30s. He grew up in an evangelical home somewhere in the Midwest. I believe it was Minneapolis, Minnesota, that area. And he kind of had a dissatisfaction with, with evangelicalism. And he went to Hillsdale College, got exposed to the classical um, type of thought, which introduced him to a lot of ideas in historical orthodoxy. Yeah. And like a, a lot of people do, kind of the first jump out of uh, evangelicalism, it's the jump all the way to Catholicism. And I know this, this book really reflected my, my journey in a lot of ways. C- Catholicism, you know, when I was growing up, I went to a Catholic high school and- Well, people might not know that we we're converts. Yeah, we're converts. Five I should years. put that. Yeah, yeah we've been Catholic years. for five years and I grew up in an evangelical home. And I went to a Catholic high school and a lot of people in my neighborhood went to this high school, not because they were Catholic, just because the public schools weren't really that good where I- where I grew up, and I remember when we would get, when I would get dropped off in the morning, my mom would would pray against the Catholics that they wouldn't they wouldn't get to me, that they would not convert me. And I I grew up Pentecostal evangelical, and I heard things like you know the Pope is the Antichrist. That stuff was not uncommon. So the idea when I started to kind of have this move towards liturgy, Catholicism was like never. There's just no way. I don't know what to compare yeah, it to. It was a it was a big jump. It like you're not you're not going to become Catholic. There's there's that's just not going to happen. Um, and you, not you don't might not really think about wh- why that's the case. You just know that that's not supposed to be the case. So yeah, it was more of a subconscious. Uh, I don't realization know. that oh well that's not yeah like we'll there's just that. no way there's yeah. just no way so so his yeah we got we we went to an a, an Anglican church initially 
And we went to one in uh, Pasadena, California, in South Pasadena, California, when we first got moved towards liturgy. And then we came back to D.C., and we were going to another kind of hip evangelical church plant, and we got hooked up with some Anglicans who were former evangelicals in the Annapolis area. And that's where we got exposed to liturgy. And Tyler Blansky um, was pulled in that direction towards the historical orthodoxy, uh, towards liturgy. And he went to a, I believe, an Anglican church. I might get the terminology wrong because I'm still not clear on the difference between Episcopalian and Anglican. And I actually think that's part of the issue that he brings up in the book. And he was a Anglican seminarian for, I want to say, two to three years um, in school studying, kind of in this monastic type school, um, learning to be a Anglican Priest, and it was becoming he was very close to ordination. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, I think he was months of ordination when yeah. he actually knew that he was supposed to become Catholic. Uh, so it was. I, I can't. I can't praise this book enough. I absolutely loved it. I was kind of um, cautious when it was recommended to me because anytime a writer is young, I just assume they're going to be mediocre. And I know that that might be a, a negative thing to say, but <laughs> like you know, as a young hip guy. Um, what is this book going to be about? I've read a lot of young hip books, and I, I think at the time I thought they were okay, but they didn't really really stay with me. And it, it became very clear to me early on in the book that this was not the case. I, I want to say this first and foremost, that I think Tyler Blansky really is a gift to the church, and he is an incredibly gifted writer. Yeah, he really – did you find that he – what I found when I was reading it, last year was that he really wove together a lot of theology in that book with his story. Yeah. It was a lot of teaching or, you know, talking about theological concepts. It's funny. The term that I kept on thinking is unicorn and that's a term from the technology world. So when someone is a designer and a programmer, they can do both really well. (laughs) You call them a unicorn because no one can do both real well. They can't, they don't have an artistic side and a technical side, but that's exactly what Tyler Blansky does have. And, he, he is a, you can tell that he's a poet. You can tell that he has this pull towards romanticism. However, um, theologically, he's just brilliant. I mean, it's my favorite parts in the book were the, the theological explanations. And I've been a Catholic now for, for five years. I just completed a master's program uh, in a school in Catholic philosophy. I, I read a lot of theology and I found myself even finding tidbits and learning things from his explanation of key Catholic concepts. Something he would do is in the book, in his narrative, he would kind of talk about, um, you know, a roadblock on his conversion, which I can relate to as well. Mary, the saints, the yeah, Pope. Yeah, whatever it might have been yeah. at that moment. And, and then he, he to his to his praise, he, would, he wouldn't just stick with what he knew. He would investigate the Catholic side. Yeah. And again, I can relate to this. When you find that you investigate the, the actual Catholic theology, it's way more compelling than honestly the, the the propaganda that you've been been fed, probably with good intentions uh, earlier on in life. Um, it was it was just a it was a wonderful book, and I really related to it. Now I will say this: um, I think this book is for a specific audience. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a memoir for the for the general pop population. Is, so, is that fair to say? I, yeah, and I think so. Tell people. Yeah, tell us who you think would enjoy this book, because I think there are people who may who would you know different strokes for different folks. It'd be another there'd be another 
even if it's a conversion story that you like, it might be something yeah. else you gel with. So, like, who would who would dig this? It's book? funny though, because that sounds like I'm putting the book down, and I'm not because no, I feel like I, no, it's I, like this. Here, here's an analogy. I, I drink a, a lot of bourbon and whiskey, and I collect a lot of bourbon and whiskey. And every once in a while, I'll encounter one, and I'll go, "Oh, this is for my friend." Steve, or this is for my friend. This is exactly what he likes. Yeah. And this is not a bourbon that would appeal to everyone. This is not like an entry-level bourbon. If I was going to suggest a bourbon that you know someone would drink and everyone would like, I would have this one kind that I would give as kind of my general my general uh, prescription. This book, though, um, is very it's like a laser beam rather than this this kind of broad application. And the person that I would give it to is someone who I think is, I know this sounds again, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm being um, condescending to to the general population, but someone who is really serious about investigating historical orthodoxy. Yeah. Someone who's maybe moving towards, from evangelicalism towards a liturgical tradition, maybe specifically Anglicanism. Um. This is who I would give this book to, or someone I know who's a very thoughtful person, who's a Christian. I don't think I would give this book to someone who's an, who's an atheist or someone who's an agnostic. So you're speaking about like people who are seeking, yeah. or interested in either Catholicism or yeah, something I, along those lines. There That's has to be a buy-in. You have to have yeah. a, a Christian theistic view. Um, but but for those people who do have that, who are who are kind of you know I've I've read a lot of Tolkien and I love him. And yeah. I'm an evangelical. I read a lot of Lewis. You know, he yeah. loves C.S. Lewis. I've read all of Lewis's. Or man, I love Chesterton. Yeah. You know, three of my heroes who were who impacted him greatly in the book. If I heard people kind of talking about that, I knew that they were readers, or maybe they had kind of like a romantic, poetic side to them. I would. I I already have like four people in my head that I'm going <laughs> to buy this book for immediately, and I'd send it to them. That's and so I, funny. I have one person in mind, and I'm not going to say who it is. Yeah. Maybe. But. I, I uh, I'm worried because I almost feel like this book is this person's guide to Rome, and I hope that his family's not mad at me if he does go that direction. But I, I think someone who's who's into people like Chesterton and Lewis, who has a move towards historical orthodoxy, maybe someone who is in the is in the current Anglican Communion in the United States that has kind of Anglo-Catholic leanings. Um, or someone who who has like a poetic and a theological side to them, I would recommend this this book too. It was um, incredibly thought provoking. There were nuggets around every turn. Um, he really is. This guy is a gift. I can't believe that he's in his mid thirties and he wrote this book. I mean, it's it's funny. Again, yeah. like I say, with a lot of young authors, they, they're young. You know, you you read them and you go, they, they have potential. Well, don't you think that he had some great insights into? What millennials grow up in, the thickness of the modernist culture that they're steeped in growing up and how that mixes with the church. 100%. Yeah, he has a total insight, this prophetic insight into that. But you know what he did that was very, very helpful is he was self-deprecating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like when he pointed out these kind of stereotypical millennial Type things that he was he was being too preachy. He was kind of always oh, no. the butt of the joke. Yeah, he. Was, I felt like he was kind of making fun of himself. It's yeah. funny though, because my big question though, as I was reading it, and I actually was able to contact him on social media. We just haven't been able to talk yet. And the the question I'm going to ask him, it's probably a, a question he might not get often with this book, 
is throughout the book, he makes a lot of these pop culture references to, to music he was listening to at the time. Yeah. And it's really like typical millennial music that, okay. you know, I watched Garden State that summer and was listening to The Shins. And, you know, I, and I, after a while, I was like, man, this is really like, um, this is kind of, this is cliche and typical, right? And I think a lot of it, it, people who are, 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 are trying to appeal, I, th- I think Christians do a very poor job at this at times. They're like, if I drop all these pop culture references, this happens on Catholic Twitter constantly, and yeah. I, I hate it. It's like, oh, I'm, I listen to Drake, and I go to Mass, and it's it's just this lame pandering that that people do, and they and they they feel like they if they do that somehow it'll show that you can be you can be Catholic and hip. But I think what Tyler Blansky was doing with that is it's funny as he got f- further throughout the book, the pop culture references became much more esoteric. Oh, yeah. So he wasn't referring to Coldplay. He was referring to something else. And it was almost like, as the pop culture references got more esoteric, his faith became more distinctly other than than just this cultural, moral therapeutic deism that a lot of people participate. He, he became kind of... Catholicism compared to modernity is weird. Yeah. And I think we really make a mistake when we say, look, you can be Catholic and be like everybody else. That's 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 not the point. The point of of the sacraments in the liturgy yeah. is that it, it makes you unlike this this world, and I feel like the rhythm and the cadence that he was doing that with with pop culture references. I want to think this is what he was doing. It'll be <laughs> funny if I ask him. He's like, "Oh no, I really wanted people to know serious. that you could you could watch uh, The Office and and be Catholic." Or, I, I or interpreted like that, that as tongue in cheek when I read it. So yeah. Well, okay. you're very yeah, but you're much more sympathetic, and I think you're you, you're more, less of a pessimistic person when it comes to human nature <laughs> than I am. Um, but the, the one I would like to see like him write in the future is it's hard because I'm going, I know he has some other books that are poetic and I love poetry, but man, this guy has a way of making theology, um, to distill it down to a level to not, to not um, dumb it down at all, yeah, but to make it, it very, um, incarnational and he, he has the ability to, to talk about important theological concepts to understand the concept, but also understand why that matters in the way that we live. Um, so he is, I'm telling you, this guy's super gifted. And I, I, he, this, this book was very encouraging for me. It really touched my heart. It was a kindred spirit that I was reading. A uh, very different dis- disposition. I'm not, I'm not a romantic like him yeah. at all. Um, I, <laughs> he, he's much more, uh, not refined. <laughs> I don't know. My wife would probably be better to answer that question than me. I think. But, yeah, I think he's Yeah, I'm more of a power forward battering ram, I guess, and this guy's more <laughs> elegant. And I say that with total with total praise and um but I think he's a he's a gift to the church. I love the book. I, I burned through it. It was not it never felt like a chore. Um it it was a book that I really, really enjoyed. So maybe it's maybe it has more of a mass appeal than I think it is. I want I want him to sell a lot of these books. But Oh I, well, I mean all that to say there's there's the different what did I say to you the other day? I said you can't ever have enough conversion stories. And the reason for that is there are all kinds of people in this world and someone's narrative is going to connect with someone else in a way that another's would not. And we need, we kind of, we need all the stories. Yeah, I think we, we you can never have too many conversion stories. That's a really good point. Well, and also people who are cradle Catholics or who, people who are faithful Catholics like to read conversion stories too, for a different reason. Like they're not seeking, but I've, I've been told by 
practicing Catholics that's sort of a shot in the arm for sure. their faith to read a conversion story, a good conversion story. I don't want to talk too much because I want to make sure we get to Severe Mercy, which it's funny because I picked kind of a new new book. I was saying that too. It was it came yeah. out last year. Which, again, was out of my comfort zone. A new book by a young writer. If you would, <laughs> All I, of your like, I never, ne- negative. I assume if you're under 30, your book sucks. That's just true. Uh, I don't know if that, that comes from teaching high school kids or this idea now. I think in a lot of young people, right, they want to sound like uh, you know Wendell Berry or they want to sound like Hemingway instead of just right. writing. Um, and it takes time to be a good writer. No, but it's the, good. But the thing about Tyler Blansky is he is super talented, super brilliant, and, and he, he's a gift to the church. I really, really mean that. And uh, I, I really look forward to, to hopefully being able to talk to him. But uh, please read the book. And I, and I will say there's one last thing, and I hope no one's put off by this. But what was really interesting is that there was a period of time for me where I came very close to begin the ordination process. In, in the Anglican Church, like really right. close. And that was at the same time um, the Catholic Church was knocking hard on, on my door, specifically the Eucharist, which I think for a lot of people is one of the main movements toward Catholicism. But um, I'm, I'm really grateful. I don't want to say I was going, shoof, when I was reading this book, but, you know, he, he converted months before his graduation at an Anglican seminary. And it wasn't convenient. That's No, sure. it wasn't yeah. convenient. I taught at a Catholic school, or I teach at a Catholic school, or I need, now teach theology, so God's grace was immense. Um, but nine of his graduate and people in his graduating class have since then converted to Catholicism. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. So I, I think that there's something to that. Um, Interesting. Yeah, sometimes... It, it, Anglicanism can be a bridge towards Catholicism. And again, that's not to be judgmental of people who are Anglican. Um, that's just a beautiful tradition. I'm talking about my journey and, and Tyler yeah, Blansky's no, and journey. I, th- I think the point is that like, it, growing up evangelical, it's a really hard jump to just, you, you kind of baby steps till you get to Catholicism or that occurs to you to be a... Remember, I was told on a regular basis that the Pope was the Antichrist and that the Church of, of Rome was Babylon, and now I'm a theology teacher at a Catholic school and I'm Catholic. So um, Tyler Blansky, I'm going to put the link for his, for the Amazon, for his book. Well, yeah, we'll link these in the show notes, um, which I figured out to do now. We know how to do show notes. So so excellent. But Jess, you, you read. Okay. So um, can I just say something real quick before you go in there about this book? Yeah. So you know how there's like albums where like, Oh, have you ever heard, you know, I'm, t- I'm thinking of like an underground album that nobody knows about. Well, you're the guy to think of it. You have, I'm staring at your record collection. Yeah, like what would be right? that that record that like, oh, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure. Because this, this book, Severe Mercy, like you talk to anyone who I respect who who's a person of faith. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Severe Mercy. They instantly, it's, it's like a deep cut, classic, legit Write a passage type book. Well, and that's why I picked it because I, you know, I kept bumping into people who had recently been talking about reading it on a lot of different people's book lists or podcasts, and you know, people mentioned it here and there, and so I kept hearing it, and I'm like, I just got to read this book. It's I haven't I haven't gotten around to it. Um, and funny that you say that. Because, well, tell us the book and the author's name. Well, so the yeah, the book is um, a severe mercy by um, Sheldon. Vonnegut and um, 
he and his wife, I'll give you the quick little quick background. He and his wife um from Virginia, Americans, met, uh, met, fell in love, very romantic love story. Um married and then through a variety of circumstances end up at Oxford um where he is taking classes. He ends up being a college professor, comes back to the States later to be a professor. But while they're studying at Oxford, or while he's studying at Oxford, rather, they come into contact with Christians, a group of Christians on campus, and they discover, they encounter Christian individuals, friends. They also encounter C.S. Lewis's books. And of course, Lewis himself is teaching at Oxford at that point. And so they, they, I'm not, I'm not jealous or anything. I know. Like, this is basically, I'm, I, again, can't believe I haven't, hadn't read this, this story yet. So I'm, I'm just totally getting sucked into this story. I kind of can't believe that these people are, you know, personal friends of this. Anyway, well, I, to get to that point, they, so he, they're lost in his books. They're reading everything they can get their hands on, other theolo- theologians as well. Um, and after a lot of reading, uh, Sheldon, writes a letter to Lewis. He's sort of in this place where he's, he can't make this jump to belief and writes to Lewis and what ensues is this back and forth letter writing relationship. Now they're both in Oxford at the time. So they end up meeting, they end up becoming friends, having a lot of conversations and um, not, I mean, this is not really giving things away. They convert. I mean, that's kind of the point of the book. They both, he and his wife, Davy convert to Christianity and become ang- confirmed in the Anglican church. And, and they are friends with Lewis for a long time. Um, it's funny that we both picked like that had an Anglican aspect to it. Yeah. And, con- and conversion stories rather than like, this was the category. Was yeah, faith faith memoir. Memoir. They didn't like, have to be conversion. Yeah. Stories. I mean, it was a rather broad category, but yes, it's interesting the overlap. So they eventually, they're only there, you know, a couple of years, they go back to Virginia and he takes a teaching job at in Lynchburg, Virginia, at Lynchburg mm-hmm. College, and which and is not Oxford, not Oxford. So the way that he describes the culture shock that they are in after leaving Oxford. Now, of course, they expected culture shock going to Oxford, but found themselves quite at home there. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm sitting here reading this book, and you know me. I'm Jessica drinking is a, my is tea. a huge Anglophile. <laughs> she and loves I'm, England. I'm just so jealous. And they're describing the walks they would take and where they would sit. And then they would go have high tea like somewhere. And then they they go back to their studio flat. And all their friends would come over and they'd all read poetry okay. into the night. So Jessica and I both are Anglophiles. But what Jessica just described about basically being a, a character in a Downton Abbey or being in Oxford. For me, it would be going to a Liverpool game and having five pints and afterwards, going to a pub and like go. singing songs about Stephen Gerrard until one in the morning. So we both <laughs> love England, but in very or, or like listening to to Oasis and Stone Roses, and so very. I'm an Anglophile too, or the Specials. But just go ahead. I mean, getting so I'm getting just lost in the story. I'm like, Again, more refined, and I'm a little bit more <laughs> blunt. They're they're just this is just a lovely existence. But of course, you realize they're probably going to come down from this conversion high. And real life, those things we, that need to be reconciled mm-hmm. under God always have to be. Yeah. Right? They come back, and that's what happens. And it's interesting. 
I don't want to give away, I don't want to say too much about this book, but I'll say this. There's this point, and of course there's no, it's not not a secret at all. You know at the outset that, I mean, the whole point of the story is that she dies. I mean, mm-hmm. it's sort of said at the outset. I think it might even be on the cover. Um, so you know that this is a story about their conversion, but also how he loses her and how that experience was actually to take what the title means, a severe mercy in terms of his own faith experience. And the way that he, um, I, the way that he walks you through that, and he's a very poetic writer. In fact, he is a poet. He mm-hmm. includes a bunch of his poetry that he and his wife wrote. Um, they actually shared a journal together that they wrote in. Um, they wrote poetry together. And so he shares a lot of his, his poetry that he wrote all along the way of this conversion. So at all these points in their lives, he has, he's included all these poet, all this poetry. It's beautiful. Um, so he has a very poetic way of telling, of telling the story and bringing you into the story. And I will, there are definitely points, especially during her illness and that whole experience where the book wrecked me. <laughs> I'm just sitting there just. You know, tears rolling down my face. It's it's very moving. But what is the most moving? And I would say, and you know, when you read all the way to the end, and you really, he really unpacks it, is talking about. um, He just he talks about why her death was a severe mercy for him. Why her dying was actually something that saved him. Because when they went back to Virginia, she was experiencing this deepness and this growth in her faith. But he was not. He had not given God everything. And in fact, with this, one of the interesting things about their story is they were so in love, right? They were this couple that they actually went out of their way in their early marriage and courtship to figure out this strategy, right? For never letting their love be attacked by all the things they saw. Sounds (laughs) exhausting. Yeah. But they, they really had, they had come up with what they call this shining yeah. barrier that's like to preserve their love. And at all costs, like, okay, well, we won't do this and we'll always share everything. And to them, you know, they were all these, this couple that saw beauty in the world. And they wanted to go after beauty and all the, and, and, and in loveness. And if that's, you know, a term that, but that was their, that was their, eternal existence if you will like that was that was their heaven on earth was this being in love and being together and having nothing come into that but they encountered the creator of love well that's funny they had to surrender that relationship something all of a sudden they realized was greater than the love they had for each other and of course that's going to how are you going to react are you both going to react in the same way? And they didn't. And um, and the way he tells the story, um, it really draws you in. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. It's very moving. Yeah. In our culture, romantic love is like the ultimate good. It is the ultimate like, and, idol existence. And, and, I, and, I, and I, you can understand that to a, to a point. I mean, it's 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 all around us and the music that we listen to and and everything. But it, it is interesting that when you read you know, when you read Dante and and you and you start to understand these kind of theological concepts of the Trinity, and that this relationship is an analogy that points us towards this ultimate love affair with God. And yeah, I, I think that's a really good thing because we put a lot of pressure on romance in our culture. Like you, you, you have to completely existentially complete me. Yeah, I mean, if I, that that's yeah. a pressure no person can bear. <laughs> 
Um, and if you see that, wow, we're we're both part of that spiritual grind or or refining that brings us to our ultimate love, which is which is God. Um, and sometimes that would take something as uh, that grace could come through the death of your earthly ultimate love, right? Yeah. And so one other thing I want to say about this book. If you read it, read all the way to the end. Read the you know postscript or afterward. I'm not sure what he calls it. I can't remember. But he sets up the timeline. He didn't write this story until so his wife dies, and then mm-hmm. a few years later, C.S. Lewis actually marries and watch the you know C.S. Lewis yeah. married later in life. His, his wife, wife passed, and of course, he wrote his book, A Grief Observed on expressing that grief. So the parallels in these two men's lives who remain friends until the end of C.S. Lewis's life, he dies in 1963. Um, Sheldon Vonnegut didn't write this book about his wife of severe mercy until the late seventies. Like mm. I don't think it was published till close to 1980. Maybe um, he actually had already given all of his correspondence, all his letters from Lewis to um, can't remember the name of the library, but he's, I believe in England. So he had donated them all. So when he sat down to write this book, he actually had to request copies of his le- of that correspondence back because he had already donated them to. It sounds like an amazing book. It, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story. So on so many levels, I, you know, when you some, you start to read a book and you know you're going to get something out of it because a lot of people have recommended it, but you had no idea everything you're going to get out of it. This was one of those books. This well, kind of has all of these treasures in it. Well, we um we both picked really good books. Mine was written recently by a young American writer who's really, really good. And again, I'm super biased against young American writers. <laughs> um, it's excellent. An Immovable Feast by Tyler Lansky. Um, he, I hope he writes for a long, long time. And Jessica, you went with yeah, like the underground l- old school hit. And I actually want to share, like, as we kind of close this out, there is something I want to, a quote I want to read from him, um, that he, from his, from this book that he had written his journal around the time that they had converted. And I think it gets to a truth about when it comes to people's faith journeys, sometimes the most compelling thing is a person. He says, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians, when they're somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent consecration, when they are narrow and repressive. Then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. But though it is just to condemn some Christians for these things, perhaps after all it is not just, though very easy, to condemn Christianity itself for them. Indeed, there are impressive indications that the positive quality of joy is in Christianity and possibly nowhere else. If that were certain, it would be proof of a very high order. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think that's a, it's a good place to end. Um, please interact with us on social media, on our Instagram account, on our Twitter account. Um, you can look us up. We're on all the major podcasts now. We're on, we're on Apple, Google, all of it, Spotify. And we're excited. Next month's category is... I don't know, but wait, before we talk about next month's category, when we want to hear what you read That's for right. this month, too. So when you share, use the hashtag, the Catholic Reading Challenge, so that we can learn hear about the books you're reading. And what's the uh, Twitter account? So the Twitter account, the Twitter handle is the Catholic RC, 
And then Instagram's easy, the Catholic Reading Challenge. So Instagram, Instagram, the Catholic Reading Challenge. Twitter, the Catholic RC. RC. Tweet us. Tell us what you read. Tell us your take. If you read what we read, we want to get in a conversation with you about it. And please follow us on Twitter and Instagram if you're not already, because we'll post updates when we're having new podcast episodes and all that good stuff. And What's next month's yes, category, next though? Next month's Real category quick. is a book by a Southern American oh, author. Geez. Okay, so that's gonna be hard. Well, let's yeah. not let's not talk too much about it today. No, but we're gonna talk about it on the next episode, and we're gonna have some suggestions, right? Yeah, book recommendations, things you might want to consider when making your pick. But um, I got a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. We'll listen to all. All right. Thanks God for bless. listening. God See bless. You.